everyone, this is Sirasila. Welcome to the Elpa podcast. Elpa is association of players in your league, which aims to collectively represent players and help their careers. We will be bringing you conversations with current and former EuroLeague players and other personalities from the world of basketball. Our guests will talk about their journeys, on and off the court stories, and look deeper into what it means to be a vital part of basketball industry. We uh, have a regular conversation as a communication with the EuroLeague. We, we have assisted them in some respects in their organization, the yeah. EuroLeague, the, un the Union of Players. Um, and when they, those players come into the United States, we've had a number of meetings with, with their union to you know, sort of support their effort to organize the players. Uh, it's difficult from the U.S. to say, okay, we're going to organize you. No. Mm. We, when there are players in whatever venue that want to organize that venue, they'll offer support. It's not our, not our place to try to organize anybody, but it is our, our, our place and our, our interest in supporting any athletes in any part of the world that chooses to organize and wants our support. So you know, the game is growing globally and we're hoping that yeah. this protection and support of player rights will grow as well. This week, I'm pleased to have the executive director of the NBPA, Michelle Roberts, as a guest. This episode was recorded during the NBA game in Paris in January. Michelle described her journey as the head of the NBPA and explained how the NBPA became bigger and bigger for the players and for the league. She also talked about the relationship existing between her association and the EuroLeague Players Association and she gave her thoughts about the recent new CBA signed by the WNBPA. Enjoy! So hi, Michelle. Thank you for having me. No, oh, it's my pleasure. It's my so pleasure. My first question is, what do you admire about the game of basketball? <laughs> the better question is, what don't I admire about the game of basketball? It, it's, it's the simplicity of it is what attracts me to it. You know, you, all you need to do to be able to play the game is have a ball and net. Um, and you can, with that ball and that net, have some of the most competitive activity you've ever mm -hmm. seen on the planet. I mean, it's so, so it's just, you, know, you know, the reason I think it's so popular around the world is because you don't have to be wealthy to be able to play it. You don't have to be at a, an exclusive club to be able to play it. All you need is some space, a ball, and that. That's what I love about it. It's, okay. it's available. <laughs> and what was your path to come at the position of being the executive director of the National Basketball Players Association? Well, I guess I came to be to my present job for a couple of reasons. One, it was, it was available, right? The person that had the job before me had been dismissed. Um, so did they come to you? Or did no, you... I, I literally was reading the newspaper and okay. I read about my predecessor being fired. And I, as I was reading the story, I thought to myself, it'll take them 12 seconds to replace that person because I, I just thought it'd be a great job to have and didn't think more about it. And then some months later, I discovered that the, they, they were still vacant. Mm -hmm. So the more I thought about it, the more I sort of looked at it, studied it, understood the union, 
understood the business of basketball a little bit more and realized that I really wanted to do, so I applied. And being a woman in the world of sports, mm -hmm. how was it? How was received it? Well, being I'm a woman, yeah, so I know what so you, so you know the answer to that is anyway. I mean, I, I, before I took this job, I was a full-time lawyer practicing. Yeah. And that, that world was predominantly male. So there wasn't, frankly, much of a transition. Um, I was accustomed to being in, in conference rooms and being the only woman there, yeah. sometimes the only person of color. Um, so the transition wasn't really much of a transition. It was just the people were taller. <laughs> But beyond that, it's, it was, you know, male predomination has been the story of my professional life. And for those who don't know, can you tell us how and why is the, the, NBA, the NBPA was born? The NBPA is the union that represents all players under contract in the game. And it was frankly born out of necessity. The team owners had been essentially operating as one. Yeah. And there was no one that represented the player's interest. Um, presumably the owners did, but you know, you've got this natural <laughs> conflict when it comes down to, for example, dividing up resources, dividing up the money. And so as the players began to feel themselves receiving less and less of the product of their work, they frankly organized yeah. and demanded pensions, they demanded living wages, they demanded decent transportation, they demanded... Uh, adequate medical care, and from that, the union has grown and grown and grown and grown. And what was your vision to you, for you, uh, when you started uh, there? When I got to the union, I, I, I saw just a, a ton of opportunity that was untapped. <clears throat> for example, there was a pension, but the pension seemed to me to be worthy of substantial increase because our players end this game at a very early age. Yeah. Um, this is, there are very few other opportunities that they have to generate income uh, at, at the same rate that they were able to when they were playing. And so there needed to be a pension that recognized the longevity of their lives, <coughs> as well as a tremendous contribution to the game. So I wanted to increase pensions. I also wanted to do something to help those players who were transitioning from life on the court to life off the court. It's a difficult time to retire, period. But mm. when you have to retire at 30, mm. that's tough. When you have to come to grips with the fact that you're no longer athletically able to perform the way you were before, that's tough. So I wanted to do something about helping with transition. Also wanted to do something about uh, mental wellness. That's an issue that has been, frankly, completely ignored in, in just about all sports. Mm. But athletes have issues too, and so we wanted to develop a mental wellness program. And then I just wanted to just increase the number of uh, programmatic offerings for the players to prepare for life after. Um, so we've done that, we're continuing to do that. Um, but you know, I, I could, there are half a dozen other things that I want to do before I leave yeah, the job. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but it's all from your perspective, it's your vision. But the players, are, when they are in the game, do they realize that they need to be better on the pension or mm -hmm. to, to get all that? Those yeah, things? I mean, <clears throat> part of it is helping the players get to, get to that point. I mean, our players come into the league 19, 20 years old. 19 and 20 year olds don't think about retirement. Nobody yeah, does, sure. right? And so to, to even approach the subject is completely yeah. inconsistent with where they, they expect to play for 15 years. Not everybody It's does. It's much too far off. And so part of it is to educate the players that they need to begin to think about that. Um, and you know, the average stay in the NBA is under four years. So you don't have 20 years to think about it. You've mm. got to think about it now. And frankly, 
they're in a better position than many people because they have resources that many mm. people don't have. And when I read everything and I see you with the players, one of the key things seems to be the relationship, the relationship you, you built with them. Mm -hmm. How was it to, to get in and then get to know the players and mm -hmm. get them in board and get like most of the more influential players next to you, like mm -hmm. Chris Paul? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, when I got the job, because the person that had the job before me had been fired, that tells you a lot about the perception of the, the union. I mean, the union, when I got there, players were distrustful, they were disappointed, um, and they, frankly, were impatient. And mm -hmm. so had, I had to, and my staff had to, regain credibility yeah. with the players. Took a lot of talking to them, a lot of visiting locker rooms, a lot of you know, being available at different venues where we knew players were going to be, so that they could see that we actually cared about what was happening to them, <clears throat> and that we were visible. We were we were, we were accessible. Yeah. And over time, um, I, I'm not going to what I think we've done a great job in again convincing the players that not only are we accessible, but we can add value to their game and value to their lives. Mm -hmm. So you get a lot of improvements through the years, mm -hmm. which one was the hardest to get from the owners and the, and the league? I think the most challenging and, and at the same time most satisfying is that we managed to secure from the league um, contributing to a health, health insurance program for life for every single retired player that was played in the, in the league for two, two years or more. Um, oh, two years or, or more. Or more. Okay. <clears throat> um, it, it's a, it, as you can imagine, it's an expensive yeah. <clears throat> proposition. Um, our players are contributing about $11 million a year to it. And we've gotten the league to not, not do quite $11 million, but to put in a substantial amount of money. So it was unbelievably well received by mm. our players, by the, our former players. Every player is going to be a former player one yeah. day. And one of the biggest costs in one's lifetime is the cost of health insurance. Mm -hmm. um, and so guaranteeing that for every player in the NBA that fits that qualification um, is special. And I feel very, very proud of our players in agreeing to provide that. And what is the main thing you are working on today with the NBPA? Well, I've got a couple of things. One <laughs> is we are unionizing our G League, our developmental okay. league. So we plan to get that done this year. Um, we're also trying to, we ended up taking back our group licensing rights. We now manage our own group licensing rights, so we need to continue to grow our, the commercial part of the union. We have a for-profit entity that's wholly owned subsidiary. We're also trying to explore the possibility of an NBPA academy in the United States. Um, we feel very strongly that any young person that's about to become a professional basketball player needs to both develop his or her basketball skills, but mm -hmm. not ignore the academic component. And so we, we're a little concerned about the quality of some of the education that our kids are getting, and so we want, we want to explore that as a possibility. Um, that we're trying to renovate an historic park in New York, the Rucker Park, it's historic for basketball players, for generations. It's kind of on the decline. We want to work yeah. on the one doing that. So that's just, those are just a couple of things we want to get done this okay. year. <laughs> Good things. <laughs> and basketball is becoming global. It is global. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did you adjust to be able to take care of those international players coming from Europe, Africa, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which who doesn't have this, who don't have the same, who, have, who are not used to, mm -hmm. to have a union to, to mm -hmm. defend their rights? 
When I got to the union, one of the things that was missing was any attention being paid to a growing population of international players. It was just absurd that there was nothing that the union did to even acknowledge that there were so many men coming into the, the union, coming into the game from outside of the U.S. So we, we, I, first thing I did was I went ahead and got somebody. Um, we now have an international relations and development chief, and he's got a staff. Okay. Um, and it's specific. I mean, it's, you know, they work. They work with all of our players, but they specifically target the unique needs of our, our international population. Um, we now have international players that are part of our executive committee. Something we had not had. I think. Well, Dikembe was was on the executive committee once, but since Dikembe, <laughs> there had not been anybody else. And we now have. I think we now have. Two members of our executive committee are international players. We have an, an international player that's on our competition committee. Um, we now have a program that we that we, that we conduct in Milan. And we're going to be moving it around the around the world, essentially, mm -hmm. a summer program for our players. Um, and then we do things like this. I mean, whenever there are players travel internationally, we want we want to make sure that we're there to show them that we're here with them. And the event issues come up, or just to let them know that we care about the fact that 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 they're there and we want to see the game grow. Mm. We want to see the game grow globally. I think it's exactly what the, what And the that is. being said, how important so we have in Europe in Euroleague the Euroleague Players Association. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How important is it to, to have this, to see the Euroleague players getting organized mm -hmm. and how is it important to build a bridge between the two leagues, mm -hmm. which is the NBA, the NBA and the Euroleague? In fact, we uh, have a regular conversation as a communication with the Euroleague. We, we have assisted them in some respects in their organization, the yeah. Euroleague, the, the union of players. Um, and when they, those players come into the United States, we've had a number of meetings with, with their union to you know, sort of support their effort to organize the players. It's difficult from the U.S. to say, okay, we're going to organize you. No. Mm. We, when there are players in whatever venue that want to organize that venue, they'll offer support. It's not our, it's not our place to try to organize anybody, but it is our, our, our place and our, our interest in supporting any athletes in any part of the world that, that, that chooses to organize and wants our support. So. You know, the game is growing globally, and we're hoping that yeah. this protection and support of player rights will grow as well. And the big news today, the WNBPA, mm -hmm. who signed a new CBA with major improvements. Mm -hmm. What does that inspire you for the future of sports and for the future of women's sports? Mm -hmm. Well, the good news is that they were able to come, come up with a collective bargaining agreement. I, I, my union supported that union. We had our lawyers were engaged in the negotiations. Our financial people were there to help evaluate the uh, documentation. Um, I'm very, very happy. I'm pleased that the NBA has made a further commitment to women's sports. You know, they are realizing some substantial increases in compensation. They're going to be increasing marketing. They've done some wonderful things in terms of work, working conditions. So the good news is that there's been a, a recommitment um, to women's sports, to women's basketball by the NBA, and I'm proud of it. Do you think he's it's going to inspire some other sports? I, I, I always like to believe that the, um, that, that the NBA, that the NBPA, that the WBA, that, that the, to the extent we engage in progressive activity and, 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 and make these unbelievable achievements that other sports follow. So I know women's soccer is having its issues with, yeah. with, with, with night. 
Um, hopefully that's inspired the women's soccer players and hopefully it's inspired the, 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 soccer, the soccer authorities mm -hmm. to realize that there's a way that you can support women, be financially lucrative, um, mm -hmm. and maybe able to make your fan base realize that women's sports are as, as important and as, as interesting to the general public as men's sports. And where do you see the where do you see the NBA and global basketball in the future? I think it's only going to get bigger. I think it's only going to grow. The, the 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 basketball league here in Africa in, in Africa is evidence of that. Um, but the, I was in India last summer, I guess, or last last fall. I was I was not surprised. I was delighted to see how much interest there is in basketball in India. Australians love basketball. South Americans love basketball, so we, we are we hold hands with the with the yeah. league and and, and being, making sure that we can make basketball available to a growing worldwide fan base. Thank you very much. No, you're welcome. <laughs> I'd like to thank Michelle Roberts for her time, and I see you in few weeks for a new episode of Elba Podcast. Bye.